always a pleasure to open up the word of the Lord with you. And I was thinking about this message today, and I was thinking, can you imagine the first man who ever ate a potato? Hey, let's take this rock-like thing out of the dirt and let's eat it, right? Or worse, the first man who looked at a chicken and said, hey, that white thing that chicken just, uh, you know, did, we should eat that too. Can you imagine what it was like to be the first to do any of those kind of things? You know, we sometimes, we uh, have limited knowledge, and in that limited knowledge, we, we do some risky things. Can you imagine the first guy who looked at a male cow with horns and said, I want to ride you? That's crazy, right? Can you imagine what it must have been like for the first person to say, hey, on that bicycle, let's put a motor on it, and let's race it around the track in the rain, because that sounds fun. In the spirit of the Olympics, hey, let's take this long straight stick, let's run as fast as, as we can, put that stick in a hole, and let's hoist our bodies vertically over a branch and then somehow land without killing ourselves. That just doesn't seem very logical now, does it? With limited knowledge, we to do, try to do a few certain things. And over trial and error, that knowledge becomes perfected. And in that better knowledge, we're able to do better things. We've uh, discovered the surface of Mars. We've raised skyscrapers, hundreds of stories. They invented a hairspray that keeps Pastor Dave's hair right in place all the time. It's crazy. Many inventions have come through gaining knowledge. Imagine this, oven mitts, seatbelts, suntan lotion, diapers, right? We have all kinds of things that have come to us with great knowledge. And the more we understand, the more we can accomplish. And I think the same can be true in our relationship with Jesus. The more we know him, the more we're aware of his presence and his goodness to us, we begin to be keenly understanding of, of his perfection of his character and in that we become more aligned to who he is and in that alignment we become more obedient and as we're obedient we receive great blessing we're in this series called encounters with jesus and our hope has been as we've met over the last several weeks that we've been able to highlight more and more of jesus you know we may think we know him we've read the stories we understand the stories but i hope that our journey through this series has been more than how we approach cramming for an exam when we were in high school or college, where we're doing more than just being able to regurgitate facts. Rather, we take the knowledge that we've received through looking at the nuance of who Jesus is, and we're able to comprehend that in such a way that it changes our life. So when we interact, I think, with these encounters, that we become to know the why behind the who. And so throughout this series, we have to remember the focus on the encounter with Jesus is, is not the one who encountered Christ necessarily, but it's on Jesus himself. And the Bible is constantly at work helping us know who Jesus is. And as we read the historical narratives of the Gospels, we're able to gather a, a sense of his personal identity. But we as a reader are then forced to kind of reconcile that identity we read on the page with our own identity. You see, I hope and pray that we're not just reading stories that we've read before. Like we're hoping to gather some more facts so that we can regurgitate on a test. I hope that we're gaining knowledge and we're looking at the nuance and the details. And that compels us to be more and more like Jesus. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. 
I invite you to find your copy of God's Word and turn there. It's a short encounter with Jesus, and, and maybe you've read over this encounter without giving it much thought. And I was thinking about this concept of details. And the writer Luke, who is a physician by trade, writes the Gospel of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And in his writing, we see great detail. And, and we must remember that as we read through the detail of the Scripture, that those details just aren't there for us to, to know a few things, but those details are for us to interact with. That the detail of the story reveals more and more of who Jesus is. And on the surface, this story may seem pretty straightforward. But I hope and pray that as we dig a little deeper, we're going to plant our hearts and our lives in some very rich soil. So Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verse 11 through 17. The message, the message today is entitled, Arise. Read with me, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and its disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he drew near to the gate of town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from, from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and with the bears stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Verse 16. Fear seized them all. And the glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. First glance, we see the emphasis of this story might be that Jesus has the power to resurrect someone who has died. Certainly that is exactly what took place in this story. And we might consider the boy's resurrection and draw attention to Jesus and, and his future resurrection and our future resurrection with Christ. And I believe the story points to those realities very, very well. But I think the focus of the story is not so much the highlight that Jesus can overcome death, but I think it's the highlight of his character. See, knowing his character and knowing his character in greater detail helps us really get the true glimpse of who he is. It's, it's, it's like adding baking soda to your recipe. If you put it in there, great. If you leave it out, you're going to mess up. I don't want us to minimize the character of Jesus. I want us to maximize his identity found in this passage. We see four revelations here in Luke chapter 7. Number one, Jesus reveals his character by his reaction. He reve reveals his character by his reaction. Now, we don't know the name of the widow. Uh, we know that she probably imagined that she's an ordinary woman. We don't know anything about her son other than he was young. And according to Jewish tradition, anyone under 40 is young. So if you're 39, what's up, young guy? You're young. It's great. If you're over 40, welcome to Over the Hill, right? This passage takes place in the town of Nain. Nain is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture but right here. It's in the mountains. It's six miles south of Nazareth, but it's 25 miles away from where they are in Capernaum. 25 miles. Now, it's interesting here that he went to her. In other places in Luke where there's a dire situation, someone comes to Jesus and informs him of the situation, and then Jesus goes there, but not here. Jesus goes to Nain 
and has this interaction with this widow in her dire situation. And it's here where two crowds collide. The crowd that is with Jesus traveling with him and the crowd that is exiting the town to go bury a dead man. Now it's telling here that there's a large audience. That's a little detail that we need to be thoughtful of, that it's not just Jesus and a few, but it's Jesus and many. And I believe that the, the size of the audience can put a shadow on the, the reality and the importance of the story. And they meet at this entrance. Again, one entering, one exiting, and Jesus sees this woman. She, according to Jewish tradition, is leading the procession. Now, Luke provides very specific words about this woman, and he says the only son of his mother. The description would, would really help us understand the emotional loss of the woman. But then he goes on to say that she is a widow. Now her life has radically changed. She's going to be in huge, economic, difficult future ahead of her. No husband and no son to care for her. She has no means of support. She will rely on the support and gifts from others for the rest of her life. Now, it's quite possible that this crowd that's with her is mourning the loss of her son, but maybe they're mourning her and her bleak circumstance. Verse 13, the Bible says, The Lord saw her and said to her, Do not weep. Now, the English Standard Version says, Do not weep. The Holman Christian Standard says, Don't cry. The NASB says, Do not go on weeping. And it's interesting here that there's a command. Jesus, having seen her, commands her, Don't weep. Now, it's sort of strange that he would do that. It, and, and we might think that it's kind of like someone might see someone fall down and we say, Hey, man, put some dirt in it. Stand up, let's keep going. Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus isn't being rude. He's not being condescending. It's a command followed by this kindness and act of great comfort to her. Now, I would assume she doesn't know that this is Jesus. Scripture doesn't say. But in this moment, Jesus, as a rabbi, as a teacher with a great crowd behind him interacts with this widow that he does not know by name, at least according to Luke, and he tells her, don't cry. But then he does something more. He's not just there to comfort her, he's there to help her. Verse 14, he says, immediately he touched the beer. Now, the beer is kind of like a, a vehicle to be with, could be like a large pallet of wood followed by either some, some wheels or maybe people are carrying it, but it's, it's what's holding basically the coffin of her son. Jesus goes to that and he touches it. Now, again, the detail is important. Jesus moves beyond the cultural barrier of not touching anything that is dead. And he does so to help this woman. He goes beyond what might be normal. It might be just be normal for him to stand aside and respect them as they move forward. And, and the funeral goes out of the city to bury this son. But he does, and he goes, and he engages. He does more than engage her verbally, but then he does something that, that, that it really is kind of wild to think about. He moves beyond the cultural expectation. 
He's not worried about what the crowd behind him is going to think. Oh, there's our religious leader breaking an Old Testament law by touching something that is dead. Therefore, he'll be unclean. He goes forward. He touches her, touches this open coffin. Now, why all the detail? Why is this significant? Jesus goes way out of his way to a no-name town to have an encounter with a no-name woman whose no-name son has just died to reveal to a very large audience who he is, that he, the Son of God, is full of compassion. I'm sure Jesus has a lot to do in his ministry. And I'm sure as they were traveling 25 miles out of their way to go meet with someone they didn't know, they might have been scratching their heads, but Jesus had great purpose, and his purpose here is to reveal his incredible compassion. Now, compassion is more than, oh, I hope you feel better soon. Compassion is more than, ooh, I hate that for you. I'll be praying for you. See you later. That's not compassion. Compassion is being moved to do something about that concern, about that issue, to be so kind as to step out of your way to go to a no-name town with a no-name woman who had a no-name son to help them in their plight and their pain. Could it be? Could it be that the only reason Jesus went to Nain was to serve this simple widow? That's all that's recorded here. Doesn't have to go that way, but he chooses to. And in so he makes her need and her pain his priority. This reaction reveals his character. He sees her and he comforts her and he says, daughter, don't cry, don't weep. He doesn't know her. He doesn't owe her. He's just kind to her. This reaction reveals his character. He doesn't care what the crowd might think that he's going to touch this coffin. He's willing to do so because he knows that he wants to serve and minister to her out of compassion. This reaction reveals his character. Jesus is compassionate toward the widow. The widow couldn't pay him back. The widow couldn't help him. She was helpless. She, he didn't Go to serve her so that she could serve him. You see, if we know the scriptures, we're thoughtful of widows. The Bible reveals to us just how thoughtful God is to the vulnerability of this part of humanity. Listen to these scriptures. Psalm 68 tells us that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner or the fatherless or the widow. You know this passage, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 provides a detailed outline how the church and individuals ought to care for widows. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the, of the fatherless, plead for the case of the widow. God, throughout Scripture, is thoughtful of the marginalized, the widow. And Jesus models for those around him the compassionate care that God the Father has towards this part of of society. And so when Jesus travels 25 miles out of his way, when Jesus tells her daughter, don't cry, when Jesus touches the coffin, he is embodying the compassion of his father to care for those who are hurting or those who are in pain. Jesus reveals his character by this reaction. Number two, Jesus reveals his character by his reversal. By his reversal. 
What was about to take place, Jesus stops. The funeral is on their way out of town. They're going to put this boy in the tomb, and Jesus stops them. And the bearers stood still. Can you imagine the scene here? Like we're carrying the body out. There's this guy. He's got a big crowd following him. He touches the coffin, which is weird. And then we're all just kind of standing there like, what's about to happen? Then Jesus speaks to the dead. I don't know if you were there. I would imagine you'd be there. I, I would just be standing there if I were a pallbearer going, I don't, this, is this guy okay? Did he have like some bad water, some weird something to eat? Why is he talking to the coffin? That makes zero sense. This guy's dead, dead. And Jesus speaks, young boy, I say to you, arise. And he reverses death and makes this boy alive. Now, if you know your scripture, the gospel records three times where Jesus makes someone who's dead and makes them alive. There's a story of a 12-year-old girl who had died about a day earlier, and Jesus heals her. There's Lazarus who had been dead four days in the tomb, and Jesus says, come out, Lazarus, and Jesus, the Lazarus, comes out of the tomb. And then there's this boy who probably had died in the last 24 hours or so, and in each instance, Jesus does nothing more than speak a word to bring them back to life. By spoken word, he makes the dead living, and here the word is, arise, get up. It's not a dissertation, it's not an essay, it's not a 30-minute sermon, it's a word. And in that, he reverses death. Strength and power, I, I believe, is revealed in the detail here. It's just one word. Can I just encourage us today? Listen, our society's a little, a little crazy these last few weeks. I don't know where you are in, in your circumstances, but I know this. If Jesus can raise the dead in one word, what can he do for you? We need to take comfort in that. We need to have peace in that. That Jesus in one word makes the dead living. Jesus gives us the entire book to bring to us a reality of who he is. What could he do in your life and in your circumstance? Jesus reveals his character through this reversal. Victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15, very familiar passage for us. Verse 55, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His character is life-giving, is evidenced by his power over death. In one word, he makes someone go from death and into life. And I want to challenge us to put our hope in the spoken word of God through his scriptures, through what he has already told us. The reversal was proven, verse 15, this dead man got up, Scripture says, and he began to speak. Now Luke records this as proof that he's no longer dead. I think it's interesting that he could have said, and he healed him, and that was the end of the story, but he didn't. He got up, and it's evidence of him not being dead. He begins to speak. He begins to talk. And again, the evidence of the other three where Jesus resurrects someone from the dead, there's always evidence. The 12-year-old girl, she gets up and walks 
and eats. Lazarus proves he was alive by walking out of the tomb. This boy proves he's alive by sitting up and by speaking. And with proof, the reversal is authentic. The crowd had come to know his power. Jesus is revealing more and more of himself. Number three, Jesus reveals his character by his reunion. By his reunion, as the, after the young man spoke, Jesus, Scripture says, delivered the boy to his mother. He gave the boy over to his mother. He reunites the boy to his family. And the scene unfolds. And I think it's a precious, wonderful, tender moment of Jesus' heart and character. He could have just simply healed the boy and been on his way, but he doesn't. He takes extra care over the widow. In the short phrase, Jesus gave him to his mother becomes an incredible moment for this widow and for the boy. He wasn't just interested in healing, the act in healing. He was interested in being kind and showing compassion and caring for her in a very tender and unique way. Jesus is at the center of this family reunion. Handing him over probably wasn't a big act physically, but it meant the world both to her, but also to us as we begin to understand his character. Daniel Bach, speaking of Jesus, said this, Sometimes the most effective ministry occurs in a small act of compassion, not in an attempt to solve the pain. Jesus did more here than we're able to do, but the way in which he acted is important. The touch and the care is overwhelming. He leans into this family to serve their heart, not just their circumstance. That's the picture of Jesus. A year and a half ago, I had a, a CT scan done on my neck, uh, which is weird. I don't, I don't normally get that done. I had an inflammation. And so the doctor said, let's do a CT scan. I said, okay. And in that scan, it showed a tumor. And, and the tumor was just below my neck and kind of in my chest cavity. And it was kind of alarming. And so it was said that I needed to go see a thoracic surgeon to have a consult as to what this little guy was. I was having symptoms that I think were related to this tumor, so it was kind of scary because it could have been more than just a tumor. And I don't know about you guys, but have you ever known that you had to go do something pretty serious medically and then they make you wait like three weeks until you go do that? It's like the worst three weeks of your life, you know? You're just full of anxiety and you're kind of wondering and you're trying to be prayerful, but you're not really sure. And, and, and it was just a pretty overwhelming few weeks for me and for Brooke. And so as we get to the thoracic surgeon and the waiting area there, we turn the corner. And there in the waiting area were two dear friends of ours, Casey and Janie Cole. And they were waiting to wait. They were waiting to wait with us. Janie and Brooke had talked and Brooke had asked for prayer for our situation. And in that, she didn't just pray, but she grabbed her husband and they were going to go sit in the waiting room with us as we had a consult. And I don't know about you guys, but as a pastor, I love to serve. I love to serve people. I hate being served. It's so uncomfortable for me. It's like, uh, well, I remember several years ago when I was in high school, my grandmother bought, God rest her soul, she's not alive, so she's not going to hear this online. My grandmother bought me a cardinal, like a red like sweater with like two cardinals on it, okay, over a branch. And that was, she gave it to me to wear. I thought she like miswrapped one of her own gifts or something. And so she said, will you wear the cardinal sweater? And I'm like, I'm not going to wear the cardinal sweater. That's weird. Kind of this cringy, uncomfortable. That's how I feel when people want to serve me. 
So when I turned the corner and I saw them, I'm like, oh, this is just weird for me. But you know what I needed? I didn't know it at the time, but I needed them to wait with us. We go, we have the consult. It's not a big deal. A little benign tumor, a little surgery, and we got it taken out. It's all good. But the impact of that journey for me wasn't so much the surgery or even the relief that the tumor was just a little guy. The impact of that journey for me was we had two dear friends who did more than just pray for us. They came alongside us. They served us in a very unique and tender way. It's the extra step, totally unnecessary. That's what Jesus is about. That's his character. Replacing the retching and the wailing with a wonderful reunion was totally unnecessary. But totally what this widow needed. He revealed his true character, not just by meeting a need, but by caring for her heart. Jesus reveals his character by his reaction, his reversal, his reunion, and then now to us. Jesus reveals his character by our response. And we see that in this passage, verses 16 through 17. We, we see the crowd response to the miracle that's just been performed. And, and they respond in one of three ways. There's some paralysis, there's some praise, and there's some proclamation. This paralysis, verse 16, says this, that fear seized them all. That fear literally took hold of them, that took possession of them. They were literally paralyzed by fear. I think, can you imagine you're walking to the tomb? You've been preparing this body for burial. You're, you're headed that way. Jesus stops, says a few words. Now the guy's raising himself out of the coffin. I, too, might be a little terrified. But not a, a terror terror, but a holy awe, a reverence, a reverent fear that they were witness to something that only God could do. And their response out of that paralysis was praise. They glorified God, the scripture says. And it's common throughout the Bible to see them being filled with fear and the response being praise and almost happening simultaneously. It was as if they couldn't do anything else but give God glory for what they had just seen. Glorifying God is this common theme throughout Luke's writings. He, he writes 10 to 12 times about it through his gospels and through the book of Acts. They're glorifying God and then they're proclaiming he has risen among us. Now, what's interesting about the word arisen and the word arise that he uses to raise the boy from the dead, it's basically the same root word in the original language. It's as if they're saying, alive in front of us is this great prophet. Scripture says the response reveals that they believe Jesus to be a prophet. And as, as good men and women who knew the prophets of old, they would have understood the prophets a bit. They would have known that the prophets were Possessed by God to have unique character and authority and power that the Old Testament prophets had passion, compassion, and, and a heart for the poor and for the marginalized. And, and it's interesting they use and, and mention the word prophet because if you know the scripture, there's a story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 where he raises the son of a widow. Through God's power, resurrects this boy in 1 Kings 17, verse 24, reveals the purpose of the miracle. The scripture says, Now I know, this being the widow, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and that it is true. That's the purpose of the miracle. And in the same way, I think Jesus healing this boy to life in front of the widow, in front of her town, in front of those who follow him, is revealing his character that 
in that character and in that power, they might come to a sense of belief. But they don't quite get there. They just call him prophet. Not just any prophet, but a great prophet. And I believe that here the detail is important. That their identity of who Jesus is is a bit short-sighted. Earlier in verse 13 of this passage, Luke calls Jesus Lord, not just prophet. You see, the identity of Jesus is both as a prophet and as Lord. They go on to say that God has visited his people, a common Old Testament expression describing God's action on behalf of the people. And then they continue to proclaim. The crowd and others saw what took place, verse 17, and rumors spread about the power of who Jesus was. Now, how do we respond? How do we read a passage like this and go, okay, but now what? What do I do with that? It's all great that we understand God's power and God's under, his, his character is being full of compassion. And, and we're seeing the tenderness of Jesus. He's leading people to see this tenderness in him. My hope and prayer is that as we look at these little nuances, these details of who Jesus is, we are realizing we need to make some adjustments in our life because most of us who've been at church, we understand the stories of Jesus. We, we get that we're not supposed to sin or we're not supposed to do bad things or say bad words. Listen, those are broad brush strokes on the canvas of our heart. We need to be very thoughtful, get the tiny brushes out and make these little changes because we're seeing the details in our life. And as we do that, What's blurry in front of us becomes clear as to who Jesus is and then who we are. The difference between good and great is very, very minimal. And so the challenge for us as believers is to take these details and to apply them. Two questions for us by way of application for you this morning. How far am I willing to go out of my way? How far am I willing to go out of my way. And Jesus goes to great lengths, does something he doesn't have to do, goes beyond just healing the boy, takes those extra steps of care. All too often, I don't know about you, but in my life, I love convenience. And I let convenience trump the needs of others. I may hear the Holy Spirit, hey, Jason, you probably need to say a word there. Hey, Jason, you probably need to serve here. Here's an opportunity where you could go out of your way to mirror my compassion to others. But boy, I like my convenience. That's going to cost me some money. It's going to cost me some time. I've got to get places. I've got to do some things. Lord, I don't have time to serve like you served. I would tell us, church, we can't not serve like you served. We've got to love people with the same care and character of Jesus. You see, many of us want to serve, Lord, in great big ways. And I would just tell you that the greater challenge is to, for us to serve the Lord in very small ways. Daily to those who live right around you. Hey, if you've got a brother or a sister in the room, I want you to look at them. That's who God has called you to serve. If you've got a spouse in the room, I want you to look at them. That's who God has called you to serve. If you've got a coworker near you, I want you to look at him. That's who God has called you to serve. So often we look for these big, grandiose ways to serve others, and I just think the Lord puts these little pebbles in front of us, these little markers in front of us that lead directly to where he wants us to go. And we can't be expected to serve in great ways if we're willing to serve in small ones. How far are you willing to go? If you want to go further... 
think we ought to confess your pride. Confess pride. Loosen the grip on your own comforts. And pray and ask God to help you see others the way he saw them, but help you see your life as a tool for his glory and not your own. Second question, how can I honor Jesus as Lord and not just a prophet? How can I honor Jesus as Lord and not just a prophet? Lord or prophet, which is Jesus to you? The test, I believe, is in your obedience. Most of us here would realize that, that Jesus is a prophet. He's got great teachings, and guess what? We're agreeable to the teachings, but if he's our Lord, we're surrendered to the teachings. And there's a difference between being agreeable and being surrendered. I can agree that the speed limit is 55, but I don't often surrender to it. The challenge for us is to treat Jesus as Lord, not just prophet. I can agree to his teachings. I can agree that he was a good man. I, I can agree to his heart and his passion and his agenda and even his purpose. I can agree to the prophet Jesus, but only when we follow him as Lord do we find ourselves in true surrender. Listen, your day ought to begin and end with, Lord, how can I be totally sold out to you? Lord, how can I totally surrender my life to you? That I would be a tool that you can use to serve my community, my family, my workplace, my school. That's the greater calling. And if we're just going to treat Jesus as prophet, we're never going to get there. If you want to really be, make Jesus, Lord, not just profit your life. You got to take up your cross. And you got to follow him daily. Pray and ask God to reveal to you areas you find yourself in agreement and not in complete surrender. Make a commitment today to move beyond the knowledge of his teachings and into the sold out pursuit of his character. challenge for us this morning is to arise, to see Jesus for who he is, to move from death into life. I want to challenge us as a body. Take the detail and make it count for you, that you could be more and more in tune with who he is, find yourself in more and more obedience to what he wants you to do, that you could have more and more impact in our community and those around you.